So we're going to look at the second half of the first chapter of John's Gospel tonight, and I'm going to read it now. The next day, John was there again with two of his disciples, and when he saw Jesus passing by, he said, look, the Lamb of God. When the two disciples heard him say this, they followed Jesus. Turning round, Jesus saw them following and asked, what do you want? They said, Rabbi, which means teacher, where are you staying? Come, he replied, and you will see. So they went and saw where he was staying, and they spent that day with him. It was about four in the afternoon. Andrew, Simon Peter's brother, was one of the two who heard what John had said and had followed Jesus. The first thing Andrew did was to find his brother Simon and tell him, we have found the Messiah, that is, the Christ, and he brought him to Jesus. Jesus looked at him and said, you are Simon, son of John. You'll be called Cephas, which when translated is Peter. Next day, Jesus decided to leave for Galilee. Finding Philip, he said to him, follow me. Philip, like Andrew and Peter, was from the town of Bethsaida. Philip found Nathanael and told him, we have found the one Moses wrote about in the law and about whom the prophets also wrote, Jesus of Nazareth, the son of Joseph. Nazareth, can anything good come from there? Nathanael asked. Come and see, said Philip. When Jesus saw Nathanael approaching, he said of him, Here truly is an Israelite in whom there's no deceit. How do you know me? Nathanael asked. Jesus answered, I saw you while you were still under the fig tree before Philip called you. Then Nathanael declared, Rabbi, you're the son of God. You're the king of Israel. Jesus said, You believe because I told you I saw you under the fig tree. You'll see greater things than that. And he then added, Very truly I tell you, you will see heaven open and the angels of God ascending and descending on the Son of Man. Let's pray, shall we? Lord Jesus, would you come amongst us now by your Spirit? Would you work in us as we look at your word together? And Lord Jesus, would you help us to come and see you in all your awesome glory? Amen. Well, today is the second in our series looking at life to the full, looking at the opening chapters of John's Gospel. And in today's passage, we read the very first recorded words that Jesus spoke in any of the Gospels. I wonder if you know what those are. The first recorded words of Jesus. They're in verse 38, if you take a look there. Verse 38, Jesus says, what do you want? He's talking to two of John the Baptist's disciples, and he says, what do you want? Next verse, he then says to them, he says, come and see, come and see. And so right at the start this evening, I want to ask each one of you the very same question that Jesus asks. What do you want from Jesus? What do you want from him? He invites you to come and see him. And particularly, he is asking, what do you want in terms of your attitude to following him? What is your view on following Jesus? Because this Bible passage, it is all about following. Just look, it comes four times. Verse 37, when the two disciples heard him say this, they followed Jesus. Verse 38, turning round, Jesus saw them following. Verse 40, Andrew, Simon Peter's brother, who was one of the two, heard what John had said and who had followed Jesus. 
Verse 43, the next day, Jesus decided to leave for Galilee. Finding Philip, he said to him, follow me. Now, of course, there are different meanings to the word follow. I mean, there's there's follow as in followers on Twitter, which means little more than having a mild curiosity in what someone wants to spurt out into the world, showing off their wit and their wisdom. Uh, There's follow that is sort of following quite literally, as in what my four-year-old Hope does between the two morning services at HDC on a Sunday. I'm just uh, walking around, I chat to people, I'm getting things ready for the service, and she just follows behind. Wherever I walk around the church in the morning, she is there, she's following me, and I sort of turn around and knock her over, and uh, she's there. She's like a shadow following me. Uh, I don't know if you saw an article this week that talked about um, children literally following instructions. And uh, uh, there were various little pictures that went in. Here's the first one. Uh, This was the uh, instruction which said, you'll see at the top, write the following words in alphabetical order. And the child did it quite literally. So Apple, A-E-L-P-P. And so it went on. Uh, That's one way to do it. Or or the next one, uh, this was instruction, find the difference in a maths test between eight and six. Totally clear. Eight is all curly, six isn't. It's quite right. Um, That is following it literally. Or or this this child called Hope, it's not my hope. Uh, She answered the question, name the quadrilateral. So she did just that. Name the quadrilaterals. Very creative. Now, you laugh. You laugh. One of my children did exactly that a couple of years ago. Um, And my wife, Susanna, said, you can't wear your socks until they've been named. In other words, put on the name tapes. And so they did just that. Uh, They went and named the socks. They put out the six pairs and named them creatively. Dandy, Albert, Josh, Owen, Tinker, and Shadow. So there we go. Uh, So following can do all sorts of different things. It can sometimes be physical, as with hope. It can sometimes be over-literal, as those instructions... It can sometimes be fairly meaningless, as with Twitter, but sometimes following is the central construct of someone's life. Think of the German pastor, Dietrich Bonhoeffer. He famously wrote, when Christ calls a man to follow him, he bids him come and die. And that is exactly what happened to Bonhoeffer, killed for following Jesus and standing up to the Nazi regime during World War II. And you know, throughout John's gospel, and in this passage particularly, John is almost sort of playful with this word follow. He talks about people following Jesus physically, literally, but he also uses it in this deeper sense of following Jesus as a a genuine disciple of Jesus. And the question that is addressed to you and me this evening, it's very clear. The question is this, what is your attitude to following Jesus? What is our attitude to following him? And we're going to look at some of the possible attitudes we might have to following Jesus, and we're going to look at it through the lens of Nathaniel. So we'll pick up the story in verse 43. Look at verse 43. It says, the next day, Jesus decided to leave for Galilee. Finding Philip, he said to him, follow me. Philip, like Andrew and Peter, was from the town of Bethsaida. Philip found Nathanael and told him, We have found the one Moses wrote about in the law, and about whom the prophets also wrote, Jesus of Nazareth, the son of Joseph. And what is Nathanael's response? What is his response to Philip's bold claim that the man he's just met is actually the Messiah? I mean, can you imagine? Put yourselves in Nathanael's shoes for a second. Uh, Your mate comes up to you and he says, you wouldn't guess. Yesterday, I met this bloke. He is the Messiah that our nation has been waiting centuries and centuries and centuries for, and I met him yesterday. Now, if you were Nathanael, it's not surprising that he just starts taking the mick, is it? 
It's not surprising. And so he says, verse 46, he says, Nazareth, can anything good come from there? See, the first possible attitude in terms of following Jesus of Nazareth is to be impertinent. Perhaps insolent or imperious. I wasn't quite sure what I to go for, but a real sense of I'm superior to Jesus. I know best. Who is this guy? Almost dismissive of Jesus, impertinent. You know, Tim Jones is from Bournemouth. So is Ben, actually, as well. Can anything good come from Bournemouth? I mean, that's all we've got. Look at that. Uh, last week, uh, if you were here, you'll remember in the talk last week, I, I referred to the books written by uh, Yuval Harari, which are currently on all the bestseller lists and have been for quite a while. And Yuval Harari's first book is called Sapiens, A Brief History of Humankind. And it's, it's a fascinating book. And in it, he makes all sorts of bold statements. Here are a couple of them. He says this. He says, as far as we can tell, from a purely scientific viewpoint, human life has absolutely no meaning. And then he says this. He says, any meaning that people ascribe to their lives is just a delusion. You see, Harari's attitude to following Jesus is impertinent. He mocks it. He thinks it's a delusion. And he's not alone. Loads of people think like that. When I was, um, when I was at university, I remember inviting a friend of mine to a talk that was being put on by the, in, by the Christian Union. It was in a, a church in a sort of similar layout to this one. And I remember sitting, I was sitting up there in the church uh, with this friend of mine. And as the talk happened, the speaker was here, and as the talk happened, everyone was facing the speaker apart from my friend. My friend was facing that direction. He had his back turned to the speaker, his whole physical body accurately illustrating what was going on in his heart in terms of his view of following Jesus. Dismissive, impertinent. And yet what happens with Nathaniel? Look at verse 46. Philip says to him, come and see. Come and see. Just like we can say to our friends, he says, come and see. And Nathaniel does. Nathaniel's attitude to following Jesus, it moves from being impertinent to now being inquisitive. And it's not surprising. Because let's be honest, we are all looking for answers. We are all searching for life to the full. And time and again, we are dissatisfied with the answers that we receive from elsewhere. Listen to how Harari uh, finishes his whole book. This is the final paragraph of the entire book. This is what he says. He says, Humans seem to be more irresponsible than ever. Self-made gods, with only the law of physics to keep us company, we are accountable to no one. We're constantly wreaking havoc on our fellow animals and on the surrounding ecosystem, seeking little more than our own comfort and amusement, yet never finding satisfaction. Is there anything more dangerous than dissatisfied and irresponsible gods who don't know what they want? Harari's worldview is that life has no meaning, that any belief in God, it is just a delusion. And yet he acknowledges that his worldview, it is totally dissatisfying as well as dangerous, trying to put ourselves in the place of God. And so Harari is inquisitive. 
that is the sort of very nature of his books. He is trying to make sense of it all, trying to find a better, trying to find a more satisfying answer than the ones that are generally given. And I'd love to say this evening, if you are searching, you're searching for meaning, you're searching for purpose, you're searching in all sorts of different directions, but you have found yourselves not finding satisfaction. Could I humbly suggest that you try looking in the direction of Jesus? Like Nathaniel, would you be inquisitive? Why not come on Tuesday night, like Tim was saying, to week two of Alpha? I'm going to be speaking, I'm going to be speaking on who is Jesus. In essence, I'm going to be trying to answer the question, uh, what is the evidence that life to the full, that true satisfaction can be found in Jesus? And I'd love to see you there on Tuesday. Would you come and see at Alpha? You know, five or six years after going to that talk at at university, uh, facing away from the speaker, my, my friend's inquisitiveness about Jesus got the better of him. And he started to investigate Jesus. And wonderfully, he became a follower of Jesus. He found satisfaction in Jesus, life to the full. And the last time I saw him, it was five or six years ago, he was training to be a pastor. And something of that change happens in Nathaniel. Something of that change, that radical change happens in Nathaniel. Have a look at verse uh, 47. Verse 47. When Jesus saw Nathaniel approaching, he said of him, here truly is an Israelite in whom there is no deceit. How do you know me? Nathanael asked. Jesus answered, I saw you while you were still under the fig tree before Philip called you. Then Nathanael declared, Rabbi, you're the son of God, you're the king of Israel. I think you'd agree that's quite a turnaround by Nathanael, isn't it? From being this impertinent, insolent uh, person when he thinks of Jesus, mocking Jesus, rolling his eyes, can anything good come from Nazareth? He is suddenly declaring that Jesus Christ is God. In terms of his attitude to following Jesus, he's moved from impertinent through inquisitive to being impressed. He's impressed. Now, why is he impressed? I think he's impressed above all because Jesus understands him. That's what all of us, we so want. We long for people to truly understand us. And Jesus understands him. Jesus describes his character, that he's a person of integrity. And then he seems to speak so knowingly of Nathaniel. I saw you under the fig tree. It's so private. It's so personal. It's so prophetic. He's speaking so directly into Nathaniel's life. And those few words from Jesus cause Nathaniel to turn 180 degrees and make this bold declaration about Jesus. Jesus, you're the son of God. You're the king of Israel. Now, Nathaniel, he's certainly impressed by Jesus, isn't he? But just notice that Jesus isn't actually so impressed with Nathanael. Look at verse 50. Verse 50, Jesus said, you believe, or it could be translated, do you believe? Do you believe? Because I told you I saw you under the fig tree. See, Jesus is saying to Nathanael, he's saying, slow down, Nathanael, wait a moment. 
You know, one minute you're launching withering attacks on me, the next minute you're overtaken with worshipful adoration of me just because of some small emotional experience and a little bit of supernatural knowledge about a fig tree. Really, Nathaniel, is that all it takes to change you? And I wonder if actually more of us here this evening are in this category in terms of our attitude to Jesus than we care to admit. You see, it doesn't work long-term following Jesus just because it is meeting some felt need of ours. You know the kind of thing, we pray for romantic success with some hot individual, and my word, it, it happens, and our faith is suddenly on fire. Or we pray for healing, and it happens, and we celebrate God's care for us. Or the felt need, it may be something more mundane. We're a little lonely in London. We've recently moved to London. Uh, and there's such a friendly group of people at HTC. It's great to be building a group of friends with such a delightful homo sapiens as all of you. Now, don't get me wrong. Please don't mishear me. I am not knocking those things. They are great. It is incredible when God intervenes in our lives. Friendship is a good, it is an important thing. But if that's all our following Jesus is based on. If that's all it's based on, just him meeting our felt needs, whether those are financial needs or health needs or relational needs, well then, when the relationship fails, which it might, or we get ill again, which we might, or the prophetic word is inaccurate, which it could be, or we meet an even better friend who is dismissive of Christianity, which might happen. Well, then our following Jesus falls by the wayside if it depends solely on Jesus impressively meeting our felt needs. And I'll be honest with you, I could name a number of people who've been part of HDC over the last few years for whom that is exactly what has happened to them. And it is so, so sad. Seemingly on fire for Jesus, but then disappointment comes and it all changes. And if you're here this evening and, and you're like that, if you're impressed with Jesus merely because he is currently meeting your felt need, well then I think Jesus would say to you what he says to Nathaniel. That in essence, you need to do some more thinking, not less thinking. That you need to follow Jesus, not just because you are impressed by him, but because you recognize who he truly is. You see, that's what Jesus points to at the end of this chapter. Just take a look, halfway through verse 50, he says, you shall see greater things than that. In other words, he's saying, you shall see, Nathaniel, you shall see greater things than having a felt need met with a comment about a fig tree. So what's greater than that? Well, the last verse, verse 51. Jesus then added, very truly I tell you, you will see heaven open and the angels of God ascending and descending on the Son of Man. Now, what's Jesus going on about that? Uh, Jesus is referring to Jacob. Uh, Jacob in the Old Testament, and a dream that Jacob had, it's recorded in Genesis 28, where Jacob, in this dream, he saw angels going up and down a ladder between heaven and earth. And what Jesus is saying to Nathaniel is this, he's saying, Nathaniel, that dream, that dream is a picture of me. He's saying, 
I, Jesus, I am the way to bridge the gap between earth and heaven. I, Jesus, I am that ladder so that you can have access to heaven. You see, when Jesus says, when he says, in him is life, life to the full. When Jesus says that, he is not meaning, in him is life in the present perked up a little bit. He's not meaning that. He's not meaning it's life in the present perked up a bit, you know, an answer to prayer here, a friendly church community there. Now, when Jesus says, in him is life, life to the full, he is meaning eternal life. A life to the full starting now, but going on to eternity in all its fullness. Remember, if you were here last week, um, Yuval Harari's whole thesis. His thesis is this, that we humans, in the last uh, few centuries particularly, that we have subdued famine. We've subdued disease We've subdued war. We've got those things sorted. And because we've got those things sorted, says Harari, uh, now the human quest, it can turn from those things. We've done that. We've sorted those onto the next challenge. And he says, now we turn and we focus on the quest for eternal life. You see, Harari, he is so right on what we should focus on. But he is so wrong about how to get it. And that is why he experiences dissatisfaction. I wonder if you saw uh, in the press this week, just a few days ago, about Rob Leibovitz. Uh, He he lives in New York, and he's a man who had a life-saving kidney transplant. And he was getting increasingly desperate and in desperate need for this transplant. And so he got a T-shirt printed uh, with a message. It said, in need of kidney, you can see it there, and then his mobile phone number underneath. And the breakthrough came when him and his family, uh, they went to Disney World, and he was wearing that T-shirt, and a couple saw him. Uh, They took a photo of him. They posted it on their Facebook page, and within a week, uh, that had been shared 90,000 times. And wonderfully, a matching donor came forward, and the matching donor, he was called uh, Richie Sully. And then the kidney transplant was successfully carried out just last week, and both men, they're now recovering in their homes. And just listen to what Rob Leibovitz said Uh, just a couple of days ago. He said this. He said, all I wanted was more time to spend with my kids, and now I can have another 20 or 25 years. I can't put it into words. I feel amazing. Richie Sully is my hero. Humanity has a new name, and it's Richie Sully. You see, Rob Leibovitz, he was understandably, he was in awe of Richie Sully because of being given a better life for 20, 25 years. But you know, the truth is that Jesus Christ has sacrificed not just a kidney, but he has sacrificed his whole body. And he has sacrificed it to give us a better life, not just for 20, 25 years, a few felt needs met, but to give us a better life forever, eternal life. And we should be in awe of that. That is our final attitude in terms of following Jesus, being in awe of who he is and all that he has done for us in love for us. 
As I close, I'd love you just to look at what happens when Jacob, when he wakes up after his dream of angels going up and down this ladder in Genesis 28. This is what it says. It's going to come up on the screen. It says this after Jacob wakes up. It says, when Jacob awoke from his sleep, he thought, surely the Lord is in this place. And I was not aware of it. He was afraid and said, how awesome is this place. This is none other than the house of God. This is the gate of heaven. Now, Jacob says that of a place. But Jesus is saying that what Jacob was saying about a place, you and I should be saying about Jesus. Jacob says, how awesome is this place? We should say, how awesome is this person? Jacob says, this is the house of God. We should say, Jesus, Jesus is the house of God. Jacob says, this place, it is the gate of heaven. And we should say, this person, Jesus, he is the gate of heaven. And you know, our attitude to following Jesus should definitely be the same as Nathaniel's here. For strikingly, in this last verse, in John chapter 1, verse 51, Jesus actually changes who he is speaking to in the very last verse of the chapter. You can't actually see it in the English. But in the Greek... Jesus changes. Up until that point, Jesus has been speaking to Nathaniel personally in the you singular. But in this final verse, verse 51, Jesus changes, speaking not you singular, but you plural. Jesus is speaking to all of us in this last verse. He says, very truly, I tell you, you plural, you, you plural, all of us, you will see heaven open. And angels of God ascending and descending on the Son of Man. Jesus Christ says to each one of you this evening, He says, What do you want? What do you want? Above all, what do you want? Do you want a few felt needs met? Or do you want something far, far, far more awesome? He says to each one of us, he says, come and see me. Come and see the one who gives life to the full. Come and see the one who gives life to the full, a life starting now. And going on into eternity, the one who gives you access to heaven. Let's pray, shall we? Let's pray. Let's just take a moment of quiet, first of all just for us to let ourselves think and respond to what we've been hearing. What is your attitude to following Jesus? Impertinent? Inquisitive? Impressed? But just on the surface because of Jesus meeting your felt needs?
or in awe. In awe of the one who offers you eternal life. I'd just love you to take a moment just by yourself with God to allow his Holy Spirit to continue to work in you and just to speak to him, to respond to him. just as we keep with our eyes closed, just if you are saying, actually, I want to be more in awe of Jesus for who he is, for all he's done for me, for giving me eternal life. If actually this evening you've been recognizing that God's been just pressing into your spirit and just challenging you where actually you're following Jesus. It goes so up and down depending on whether or not he's currently meeting your felt needs. And actually this evening you're longing that you might be someone more constantly in awe of Jesus. I'd love you, just as people have got their eyes closed, just to raise your hand and just say, that's me. And I'd love just to pray for all those that are like that. So just raise your hand if you're feeling that. Thanks, there's lots of hands going up. Let me just pray for all those. Let's just pray. Almighty God, Heavenly Father, just as you worked through a dream in Jacob's life, filling him with such awe of you. Father, would you work now through our time together this evening? Would you work now in all those different people's lives who just raised their hands? And would you, by the power of your Spirit, be filling them with a right and healthy awe and wonder of your Son, the Lord Jesus. Father God, I pray that you bless each of those individuals. And I pray for them, whatever their current circumstances in life are, whether they're marvelous, whether they're a mess, I pray for each person that they would know a deep-seated, ongoing trust and awe in you. Please, Lord God, would you continue to work in them by the power of your Spirit. I thank you for them. I pray that you would give them increasing wonder, increasing awe at the life to the full they have in the Lord Jesus. And we pray this in his name. Amen.